who would dare say that their family is ideal? Uh, ho- hopefully none of us would because uh, we're just not facing reality if that's the case. And yet in this series we're going to talk about what it means to be ideal. Not, not in the external lookup of your, uh, or makeup of your family, what it looks like on a window sticker. But we're going to talk about the qualities or the attributes that truly make for ideal families. And uh, today we're going to talk about this, this important topic, who's the boss? Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we thank you for being such a good and loving father. And for inviting us to be your children. Uh, Today we just pray that you'd help us learn, help us grow, speak to us. So that we can um, understand more about what it it is that you created us to be as as families. And how we are to live life together. And and even this issue of of, of authority. How how we're supposed to handle that. Especially as it relates to our families. So uh, open up our hearts and our minds to to just be open to what you have to say. and, And teach us and correct us and challenge us. But also reassure us of of our uh, loved status in your eyes. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, today, uh, we're, as I said, we're going to talk about the world's oldest pastime. It's not baseball. It's fighting over power. Right? Tug of wars, arm wrestling matches. Man, man that, is, that is the world's oldest pastime. If you look around you, there are power struggles everywhere. Since the beginning of time, everywhere you look, uh, j- just in the last couple of weeks, right? Uh, Tensions have flared up again between Israel and Palestine. How long have they been fighting? Uh, Closer to home, there are renewed tensions here in our own government, right? Uh, It's okay, you can chuckle. Um, uh, Right? I mean, just just this last week or so, uh, John Boehner, the Speaker of the House, uh, said that the House was going to sue the President over an abuse of executive authority, over doing things without the authorization of Congress. And, and it's just kind of crazy because this whole system that we've got set up here in our government is to balance power, to keep anyone from becoming tyrannical. And yet, the balance of power just seems to fuel a fight, a struggle for power. You know power struggles not only in government, you know them in your workplaces. Right? I, I love this org chart here. We are presently engaged in a power struggle. <laughs> I guess. I mean, you, you know that stuff, right? People fighting over power, people, people vying for position, boards, you know, firing chairmen and chairmen. You know, it's just, it's crazy the way we fight over power in organizations. In churches, churches are not exempt. And shoot, you even know power struggles in your homes, right? I, I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to enhance you, honey. It's Okay. Right? This is what spouses do to each other. There, there's this, this, you know, trying to get the upper hand and this battle over power. And, and, then, and then when things don't go the way you want, spouses begin withholding from each other. You know, I'm not going to give you or do for you if you aren't giving or doing for me. And it turns into this whole battle of power. It seems like no matter where you look, near or far, all throughout time, people are vying, fighting, wrestling over power. Which is why today we're going to spend some time asking an important question as it relates to our families. A question that is kind of uncomfortable to ask, but a question that must be asked. The question is, okay then, who's the boss? Right? Who is it in your family? Who wins the power struggles? Are you eating salad for dinner or pizza? In my house, it's probably both. The parents eating salad, the kids are eating pizza. You know, you just try to make peace about it, right? 
It's an important question. Who's the boss? In fact, what I want you to do right now uh, is think about this in your family. Who, who's the boss in my family? And turn to the person who came next to you or came with you today, the person sitting next to you, and, uh, and tell them really quickly, who's the boss in your family? And then duck. <laughs> right? Because that's a dangerous question. Uh, the other night I was, I was hanging out with, uh, with Jeff and Laura Cook. Jeff's our, uh, on staff here. He's our CFO. And uh, we were also uh, hanging out with my wife. It was the four of us. And they knew I was teaching on this this weekend. And they said, so in your family, who is the boss? And my wife was sitting there. So there was no good answer, right? Uh, you, these questions just can't be answered sometimes. They're, they're extremely awkward. They're extremely dangerous questions. Which means that even... In our sweet little families, you you don't have to go to to the West Bank or to Gaza. You you don't have to go to Washington. In our sweet little families, we all know, if we're honest, that there are often these knock-down, drag-out battles over who's got the power. Which is why today I'm I'm really excited to share with you some some words that that are are just powerful. They speak into this whole balance of power thing. And uh, a lot of you have maybe heard parts of these before. Uh, because they're going to deal with the question, who's the boss? And that's why we're looking at them. Um, and, and I just want to say this before we get into these words, that, that these words, they were revolutionary when they were first written almost 2,000 years ago. And I believe that if you let them, if you kind of suspend some of your angst that these words will create, I believe they can be revolutionary again today. So today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. You can look at that in your Bible. You can take out your smartphone and go to uversion.com, or you can look right up here on the screen. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Paul's writing to people, and he says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes on. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So you're thinking, in everything? Now that would make sense, you're right, here's Paul's analogy. Now in the same way that the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. No big deal, except you're thinking right now, well you've not met my husband, he ain't Jesus, Right? So certainly this doesn't apply in that case. See, these words seem anything but revolutionary to us. These words seem archaic to us. A lot of us hear these words and we're thinking, okay, okay, I get it. Paul is writing to a very paternalistic culture, and he's not trying to upset things, and he's just trying to keep the status quo. So those words might make sense 2,000 years ago, but aren't we way past these things? You know, wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything? Well, it gets better. Paul, Paul continues. Uh, and, and I'll just warn you here, um, Paul gets a little rambly here. It happens to the best of us sometimes, okay? So don't judge too harshly. Um, but what I did here is, is, is some of these key phrases uh, I highlighted in yellow. So if, if you kind of have a hard time following his logic, just, just stay with the yellow things, okay? So then he goes on, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We'll continue, verse 26. Uh, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, here you go, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He continues, he who loves his wife loves himself, 
After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body, just as Christ does for the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he's on this, this, this uh, rabbit trail here. And then he comes back and he says, all right, all right, back, back to the subject here. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, now some of you may be going, okay, that sounds good. But I think a lot of us are going, What? This is insane. Now, now the the mistake we make here is that we stop at the end of chapter 5, as if Paul is finished, and we assume that Paul's only concern here is talking about gender. But it's not. Uh, Let's look at the very next verse, which happens to be in a new chapter, but it's the very next verse, starting at chapter 6, verse 1. He goes on. So so he talks about wives and husbands, and then he continues. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Again, he kind of rambles here, but he says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So he goes back to the Ten Commandments, and he says, Hey, children, there's even a commandment about this. This has been around from the beginning. Then he continues. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Uh, as he's talking about slaves here, it's, it's kind of this idea of indentured servanthood. It's kind of hard for us to understand. Uh, but he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people. So you so change your attitude about how you're serving because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you uh, for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And then he continues. He says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I don't know if you noticed. I tried to help you. Again, it's a lot of words there. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, Paul speaks to six distinct groups in those verses. Three of them are highly empowered groups. He speaks to to men and fathers and uh, masters, people who are wealthy, who who might have servants. And then he speaks to three highly disenfranchised groups. He speaks to uh, women and children and slaves or indentured servants. Now see, I think most of us, when we read these words, we only pay attention to the three, the three disenfranchised groups. And we make some assumptions about Paul. We assume that Paul, this so-called man of God, is here in these words advocating the continued systematic oppression of disenfranchised people. We we see Paul as this so-called man of God saying, you know, women, you're in an awful situation. You have no rights. You're treated like property. Kids, you're treated much in the same way. And yet you just got to keep on doing that. I'm going to keep reinforcing these these unjust systems that that are just awful that cause abuse and all sorts of things. That's what we assume. And we're so busy being offended at what Paul says to women and children and slaves that we miss what he says to to husbands and fathers and masters. See, did you notice Paul speaks to six people groups and really his advice is exactly the same. The thing that he calls them to do is exactly the same. He says this at the very beginning of that section. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Now again, you know, socially or culturally, if, if you've kind of got to do this, it, it doesn't sound very revolutionary, but, but I want you to think for a second. Paul addressing these words to, to husbands and fathers and masters, people who in society have all the power. And he says to them, he says, even though you've got the power, even though you're at the top of the heap, I'm calling you to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, now who's going to do this? I mean, if you've got power, who is going to willingly let go of your power in order to serve someone else? See, that's not the way the world works, right? I mean, kids in the room, you dream about being grown up someday because you're tired of your parents telling you what to do, right? And it sounds fun someday to be able to tell other people what to do. And you think, when I'm a grown up, it's going to be like this. No one wants to let go of power once you have it. That's why you've got members of Congress who've been there for 50, 60 years, long after they're physically or mentally able to serve. They won't let go. Why? Because once you've got power in our culture, you do not let it go. So these words are revolutionary. That Paul would speak to people in society who are highly empowered, who, who have all the rights, who have all the authority, and he would say to them, just in the same way he says to people who are highly disenfranchised, he would say, here's what I want all of you to do. Whether you are man or woman, whether you're father or child, slave or free, I want you all to submit yourselves to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. See, see who would do that? If you don't have to, who would do that? The answer is no one, unless you really get that this is exactly what Jesus did. Right? Jesus, who had all power and authority, who was in very nature God and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself and he took on the very nature of a servant and he so submitted himself that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the scriptures say. See, you would never do this. You would never, once you have power, willingly lay it down unless you really get that this is exactly what Jesus did. That Jesus laid down all of his power. He submitted his will to the will of the Father and to our needs. And because of that, we sit here today washed and freed with the promise of life eternal. See, you would never lay down your power unless your heart begins to be transformed by the fact that this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And see, you would never lay down your power and submit to other people in your life unless that love of Jesus that is so powerful, all that he did for us on the cross, not because he had to, but because he wanted to, unless that love starts to get in your heart, and it so melts you and so changes you that you begin to look at power differently and you begin to think, hey, if this is good enough for Jesus, the way of service and submission, then it's good enough for me and you begin to submit to other people in your life, not because you have to, but out of reverence for Jesus and what he's done for you. See, when we read these words, we assume that this is about obligation, but it's not. Paul is not speaking out of obligation, See, even though uh, women and children and, and servants were under certain cultural laws and societal laws, Paul's not speaking to them under those terms. 
When Paul's writing these words and the people he's speaking to, he's speaking to people who are not citizens of Rome or citizens of Israel. He's speaking to people who are in Christ. And Paul knows that that changes everything. It doesn't matter what your situation is. When you're in Christ, whether you are male or female, slave or free, adult or child, when you're in Christ, there are some, there are some things that apply to all of us equally. Uh, Paul knows that, that when he's writing to these people, and they know it too, that when he's speaking, he's speaking to people who are equally valued. Not just because they're created by God, not just because all men are created equal, but because all people have been redeemed by Jesus, that we all stand level at the foot of the cross. Do you know that? I don't care how successful you are. I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care how, how people uh, you know, either respect you in your weekly life or don't respect you. The reality is when we come here into the presence of God, we are all equally fallen. We are all equally imperfect. We don't live up to, to God's ideals or our own ideals or the ideals of people in our lives, and we know it. And yet... We are equally loved with the redemptive love, the love of Jesus that he gave on a cross, a a love that cleanses us and rescues us from our sin and restores us to favor with God and to favor with each other. See, Paul's not talking to people who are of different values, of, of, you know, women are treated like property and men are not. He's speaking to people who are in Christ, and when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what society says, we are equally valued. You know, that's why Jesus had women be the first witnesses of the resurrection, insanity unless Jesus really means that everyone is of equal value because of the cross this is why Jesus in his ministry took little children and and, and he put a child on his on his knee and said hey you grown-ups need to become more like this because they are the heirs of the kingdom of heaven The, the reign and rule of God belongs to such as these he made children the standard of what it looks like to live under the reign and rule of God It's because we're all equally valued. And then Paul also knows that not only are we equally valued, but we're completely liberated. Again, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Paul's writing these words while he's in prison. And yet he says, no matter what your circumstances are, you are completely set free in Christ. You're free to choose. You're free to live. You're free to pursue what you think is best. You are completely free. See, it kind of gets under my skin sometimes when we talk about freedom, personal freedom, as, as a human value. I believe it's a human right, but it's not a human value. It's a Christian value. It's a Christian ideal. That's why you can go to places where, where the gospel has not been, and, and they don't have the same concept of personal freedom that we do, because that, that's not intuitive. That's not a human value. It comes only from the gospel, This promise that Jesus has truly set us free of sin and death and the power of the devil. He set us free even from the law that we are completely free. See, again, Paul's not speaking to people who are oppressed or people who are are under uh, authority of others. He's speaking to people who, who truly, regardless of their circumstances, are completely liberated. So he's saying we're we're all equally valued. He's speaking to people who are completely liberated. and, And he's speaking to people who are compelled not coerced. See, the Ephesians, the, uh, the people that Paul's writing to, they, they get this. That because of Jesus, 
Uh, we are never forced into anything. God does not force himself on us. The God that we see in the face of Christ, he sees us with value, he gives us choices, he gives us freedom, and then he compels us, he, he woos us, he tries to convince us to choose what is going to be best for us and best for our world, but he never forces his agenda on us. So Paul's speaking to these people who are, who are of equal value, people who are completely liberated, people who, who are not coerced into anything, but they're compelled. And so, and so we hear these words in such a different way as Paul talks about authority and power. And we have his heart completely wrong. And we have our understanding of the people he's speaking to completely wrong. See, Paul has these things in mind as, as, uh, as, as he speaks to these people. And he, and he knows he's speaking to people who are free, and they are valued, and they are, they are going to be compelled but not coerced into anything. And he invites them. He doesn't command them. He invites them to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. You see how revolutionary this is? For the first time, everyone is on a level playing field. For the first time, women and children and slaves are invited to submit, not because they have to, but because they want to. These words are absolutely revolutionary. But maybe for you, they don't feel like it. So, so back to our question, uh, who's the boss as it relates to our families? The answer, if you're in Christ, who cares? See, this is not a question that you're concerned about if you are in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, you're following the example. You're following the model of one who was the boss of everything, the Lord of everything. And yet he laid it all down. For the sake of others. If you are in Christ, then this whole question about who's the boss, you see everyone as your boss because your job on this earth is to serve others around you, to serve your neighbor in whatever they need, to serve your family however they need it. See, this command, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, it applies to all of us equally. And yet, submission looks different. And this is where we get hung up here. I think all of you are, okay, okay, I like to equal stuff, I like to equal stuff. But, let me say this, submission looks different depending on the relationship. You can live a life of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and depending on the nature of the relationship, submission will look different. Uh, for instance, that's why Paul says this to husbands and wives. This is just a review of what he said earlier. He says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then later he says, husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So wives submit, husbands love your wives. See, see, again, we look at this and we get all hung up again. You you forgot about everything I just said. And you're like, why do we have to submit? That's not right. And yet, if I can just speak in generalities for a minute, uh, maybe, maybe I can shed a little bit of light on all this for us. See, obviously, men and women, we innately want some of the same things in life. We want security, and uh, we want to be known, and we want to be valued, and we want to be cared about, and we want to be in community. There are so many things that we, we both value, regardless of our gender, that are identical. And yet there are also things that we desire that are innately different. Uh, one of those things, uh, I believe, is this. That uh, men are created with a desire to be respectable, and women are created with a desire to be lovable. 
See, see, some of you may be sitting in the room and go, you may be a guy and say, hey, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to be respected. Uh, and, and that may be true for you. I'm speaking in generalities. And yet I think that all of us are created with this desire that's distinct. Are there other things we're created with that are distinct? Yes. But, but just hold with me here for a minute. I believe men are created with the desire to be respectful. Women are created with the desire to be lovable. Now, if you are in a marriage and you are going to take seriously this invitation to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, so you're a wife, and, and you're going to take that seriously in your marriage. And, and you know that one of your husband's deepest desires is the desire to be respectable. Even if, even if he's not capable of being respectable on his own, that, that's what he desires. And if you want to submit yourself to your husband, then aren't you going to meet him in that need to be respectable? Aren't you going to respect him? And husbands, same thing is true. If, if you know innately that your wife has a, a deep desire to be lovable, even on those days when, when, when you don't feel like loving her, she doesn't seem lovable to you. If you're going to submit to her out of reverence for Christ, if you're going to use your power for her needs rather than your own, then aren't you going to love her? Meet her in that desire to be lovable and love her? See, this is where marriages go wrong. We get so caught up in what we need, and we make demands on each other, and that's not what we're called to do when we're in Christ. When we're in Christ, the call is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, whatever that looks like in the relationship. And I think this is where in marriage, so often we go astray, because we don't sit around studying our partners. As fathers, we don't go around studying our children you know, as, as bosses or employers, we don't go around studying our employees to say, what is it that they really need and how do I use my power to bless them, to help them, to meet their needs? Also, I, I want you to notice something about what Paul says here to husbands and wives. He never once says, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Does he? It's not there. And wives, he never once says, wives, make your husband love you. You know, nag him to death until he loves you. Force him to give you compliments. He doesn't say that, does he? I mean, it's in one letter, so it's kind of confusing, but you, but you, get, the, you get the image that, that Paul is, is, is saying, all right, all right, wives, I want to speak to you for a minute. And husbands, I want you to plug your ears because I don't want to hear any amening out of you when, when I speak to wives over here. But wives, I've got an important message for you. I want to let you in on a little secret. All right, husbands, you got ears plugged good. Wives, I want to tell you something. That, that one of your husband's deepest desires is to be respectable. And if you really want to melt him, if you really want to honor him, if you want to show your care for him, show him respect, because it will absolutely melt him. And of course, the wives all say back, well, submit, Mm-mm-mm, right? <laughs> what about him, right? And Paul goes, no, 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 I, I've got a message for him, but, but that's not a message for you. I just want you to be focused on what, what it is that I'm calling you to do, what I'm asking you to do. You, you just submit, and I, I'll talk to him in a minute, okay? But you just stay focused on what you can do. You can't control him. And then he goes over to husbands, and, and he says, wives, pull your ears. Husbands, husbands, you know what your wife really longs for in your marriage? She, she longs to be loved. Loved? Love? Why is it all going to be about the mushy stuff? What about her? What's she going to do for me? Hey, again, don't worry about that. I've already talked to her. That's not your business. You can't control that. What you can control is how you submit. And the way you submit to your wife is to show love. That's what you're called to do. Do you get this? See, see, in Paul's vision, 
Everyone is valuable. Everyone is equally free. We, we are compelled and invited. We are never coerced to do anything. And yet, if you've been so affected by the love that Christ has shown you, and if, if that love is getting into your heart, and if you want to honor Christ back for, for the honor that he's shown to you, the way you do that is you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, whatever that looks like. And then lastly, let me say this. That's not to say that in our families there is no headship. See, again, ideally speaking, I believe that husbands, I think the Bible teaches this, that husbands are called to be the leader of their families. And I believe that parents are called to lead their children not the other way around. And, and more and more I get concerned that this is getting backwards. And, and, and I think bosses are meant to lead their employees and, and elected officials are to lead their citizenry. And I believe that pastors are to lead their churches. Not because they're better or more valuable or more free. I've already told you that's not true. But because everyone needs a leader and God is a God of order. See, we all need to be led by someone. And God is a God who, who likes order. He doesn't like chaos. And, and you know, when, when everyone is in charge in a nation, it's called anarchy. And when no one's in charge in a company, it's not successful. And when you don't have strong leaders in churches, churches don't fulfill their mission. And the same is true in families. W without a leader in the family, the family's not going to fulfill its mission either. And even those leaders need to be led and they submit to Christ himself but the Bible does teach that ideally speaking, in a family, the husband is to submit to Christ and then he is to, uh, to lead his family. Now, now before you barrage me with a bunch of uh, questions and objections telepathically, I feel them coming at me right now, uh, questions that I probably can't answer or at least don't want to, let's just remember that in this series we're talking about ideals. We're talking about God's preferred plan for us, what is best for us. Will that always be our reality? No, of course not. Because we all fall short of God's ideals every day. Every day. And we are, we are broken and we are messed up and we are in relationships with people who are broken and messed up and insecure. It is a mess, these families and these relationships that we've been called into. I get that some families don't have a father. I get that some families have a father and he is not in any position to lead. I, I get all of that. And, and so maybe your situation isn't ideal. And I understand that. Maybe your situation never will be ideal. I, I, I don't think any of ours will. But what I'd ask you to do is I'd ask you to do this. Can you still accept that there is an ideal? Can you accept that there's still an ideal for how God wants families to live life together? even if you can never reach it. And more than that, will you still work toward it anyway? Even if you know you're never going to get there, will you still pursue it? See, out of your freedom, out of your liberation, you are not coerced, you are compelled. Are you willing to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, whatever that looks like in the context of your relationships? See, let me just tell you that, that once upon a time there was a group of people who so fully embraced this and so fully lived this out that it transformed their families and their communities and their society. It changed the whole world. That happened in the early church 2,000 years ago. 
And I may be an idealist, but I believe that if we began to embrace this, if we became obsessed with this, of what it looked like to submit to one another out of our love for Jesus and what he's done for us, I believe it would change our families too. I believe it would change our societies. I believe it would change our world again. I'd invite you to rise right now as we ask God to do that. Father God, thank you for the love that you've shown us in Jesus. Thanks for for this perfect picture of what power is meant to be used for. Not to abuse people or lord it over people, uh, but, but power according to your son and and his life, is meant to be used in service to people, in submission to people. God, get that message into our hearts so, so that first and foremost, we are people who want to willingly submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. And then, Father, I pray that by your spirit you'd teach us and by your word that you'd teach us what that looks like in our relationships and how we can do that with the people we live life with so that our families truly can be transformed. And, and there are families in this room today who, who uh, are a mess. We're all a mess. And there are some families who are really hurting today because of this issue, because of an unwillingness to yield or submit to each other. And Father, I pray that you begin to teach us all about what this looks like, that our families might become transformed and more whole and filled with joy, that our communities might change, that our nation might change that our world might be changed again by people who are serious about fulfilling this invitation to submit. So God, this is not natural to us at all. Uh, we don't want to let go of power. We're afraid to. But I pray you give us courage in the name of Jesus, the one who's taught us to pray. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.